0: Well, good morning, church. I miss you. I love you guys. Um, I'm really excited to get in the Word of God with you. If you will open up your Bible to the Gospel of John, we are continuing uh, our study through the Gospel of John. We're just working verse by verse through John. We are beginning John chapter 6 today. John chapter 6. The title of this message is is a table in the wilderness. A table in the wilderness. We're going to be reading from verse 1 all the way down to verse 21. I will read the text, pray, and then we will study the word of God together. John 6 says this. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, "'Where are we to buy bread?' So that these people may eat. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew himself again to the mountain by himself. Now let's read verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. And coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Jesus, we thank you for your holy, perfect, inerrant, inspired, infallible, sufficient, active, and alive word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that this is your sword. This is what you use to cut away sin, to pierce our soul that we would see our need for Jesus. And Lord, we all, we all need Jesus today. So speak, Lord. Use my very finite brain and abilities just to simply be faithful, to just point out what you have given us here in your word, Lord. And Lord, even in the season, the season you have us in, the season we are all in together. Lord, you know us, you know the hairs on our head, you know the cares and concerns of our hearts, you know our needs, you see our lack, the ways we aren't sufficient, our weakness, the ways we doubt you and your resources, even like these disciples did. And yet you are merciful and you are gracious and you care for us, your people, you care for us, you see us. So we look to you, Jesus, as an act of worship right now, we still ourselves, our minds. Please, Lord, I ask that you would prevent distractions, prevent phone calls and text messages and help us just to be present, to sit at your feet, to hear you speak to us, to hear the living God, the spirit of God speak through the word of God preached. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we approach this story, these two iconic stories, the feeding of the 5,000, which we know is only counting the men, which means there's likely 20,000 or so people there. And then the the infamous crossing of the the Sea of Galilee as Jesus is walking on water. These are are well-known stories to many of us. And it's honestly, when you come to a story like this, it's easy to think, well, what's there for me now? What's new for me? I already know this. But I want to remind us of something that we we learned when we began the gospel of John, okay? John did not write his book simply to give us information. Um, There were three other gospels that were written before John wrote his gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and these other gospels tell far more historical information than, than John does. And so when John came to write his gospel, he knew those other gospels were there and he had a very specific purpose for writing the gospel of John. And, and we, we, we notice that, we see it at the end of the book. He says, I wrote this that you may believe that Jesus is the son of God. And by believing in Jesus, you would have spiritual Life, eternal life, life abundant, life to the full. That's the purpose of John. And so from beginning to end, John is giving us um, very specific chosen information. He said, if I told you everything, the, the world couldn't contain the books. But he's given us just a few stories to intentionally communicate something to us about Jesus. And he's the son of God. And that by believing in him, you would have true spiritual life. Now, what's interesting is this is the only miracle that John includes that that were included in all the others. Meaning this is the only miracle included in all four gospels. Meaning John didn't include this just so we would know the story. He, he knew you'd already know the story in the other gospels, but he included these, that this miracle, this story of the 5,000, and then the subsequent Jesus walking on water because he wanted to tell us something specific about Jesus. He has an intention here. He wants us to notice not just, oh, what a cool story. He's doing something. and 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 to know what it is he is doing here Look with me just the last two verses of chapter five. Okay, this is so, if you miss this, you will miss actually the purpose of the next three chapters in the gospel of John. John six, seven, and eight, the next three chapters we're gonna cover. John is doing something specific in these chapters. And he sets us up for what he's doing in the last two verses of John chapter five. Look at the the last two verses, John 5, 46. This is what he says. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Okay, now hear me. What Jesus is saying is that Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses had an intention when he wrote those books and it wasn't just history. Moses was writing about Jesus. Do you hear, do you hear what Jesus says? Moses was writing about Jesus. You're like, well, no, I thought he was writing about you know, slavery in Egypt and them crossing the Red Sea. Yeah, that 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 is true. That is history. That is what he was writing. But he had a purpose under there. He had a purpose to prepare us for Jesus. And in fact, he was writing about Jesus. Well, what do you mean he was writing about Jesus? What are you saying? Well, what we see here, this is so important. In John 6, in John 7, in John 8, is Jesus fulfilling all of these iconic stories that Moses wrote about. Okay, just bear with me here. John 6, in verse 4, it says, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. What was the Passover? Well, the Passover was what Moses wrote about when they were enslaved, the people of God were enslaved in Egypt. And God sent 10 plagues to deliver his people. And the last of the 10 plagues was, I will kill the firstborn son of every household unless you slaughter a one-year-old perfect lamb and you put the blood over your doorpost. And when I see the blood of the lamb, my judgment will pass over that house and the house will be spared. Now think about this with me. A lamb slain, God sees the blood, his judgment passes over. Moses was writing about Jesus. And so so John 6 gets us thinking, okay, he's talking about Passover. This Passover is at hand, Egypt's at hand. Okay, interesting. And then John 6 goes on to talk about Jesus goes up on a mountain to meet with his father. Well, Well, what did Moses do all the time? Well, Moses went up on the mountain to hear from God. And then Jesus sees this huge crowd and they're in this grassy place and there's no food for them. And Jesus says, watch this. I'm going to take a few loaves and I'm going to multiply them supernaturally and feed these people with bread. Now, when did that happen? If you think about it, remember they after they uh, were delivered from Egypt, they're in the wilderness and the people were crying out to God, God, it was better when we were slaves because at least we had food to eat. And then God sent manna, bread from heaven. And Jesus goes on to explain later in chapter 6 that he is the true bread of life. And so this miracle that we are going to study together, is Jesus saying that story about God providing bread, that was Moses writing about me. And then what happens right after Jesus feeds the 5,000? Well, he goes back up on a mountain. He sends his disciples across a sea. And now it's windy and it's stormy and it's chaotic and they don't know what to do. And what does Jesus do? Jesus supernaturally crosses The sea, storms, seas, water, it's nothing to him. He walks on the wind in the waves. Well, well, think about this for a second. Wasn't there a story in the Exodus when the people of God were being delivered, but then they were up against this water and they didn't know what to do and it was nighttime and it was windy and and their enemy was behind them, but God made a way through the sea. And then in chapter 7, Jesus goes on to explain that he is the one who gives water, water for our souls. And if you remember with me, in the Exodus, the people cried out to God, we have nothing to drink. And there was a rock there. And God said, Moses, strike that rock. And when he struck the rock, water poured out. And Paul goes on later to say, that rock was Jesus. Moses was writing about Jesus. And then, if you remember, how did God lead the people of Israel? How did he lead them in the Exodus? So he delivered them with the Passover. And, but how did he lead them? Well, we know that he sent this pillar of fire. And in the middle of the night, there was this light, this pillar of light And they would follow this light anywhere it went. And do you know what Jesus says in John chapter eight? He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so as John five sets us up, hey, remember Moses? Remember all those stories, those great stories of Moses? Well, those were Moses telling us that a greater Moses, a greater prophet, a greater one who's going to lead the people of God, who's going to deliver them through stormy waters, who's going to supernaturally provide bread and water, yes, but for their souls eternally, a greater salvation than Moses gave is Jesus. And that is the theme, the backdrop that is, that is there in John 6, 7, and 8. And if you don't, if you don't see that, you're going to miss the whole point of why John gave us these stories. So that's the background. That's what John wants us to be noticing. That is, we're reading Jesus fulfilling these great stories of Moses. And now I just want us to walk through the verses uh, quickly. And I just want us to notice in the light of that background, uh, a few things about us and a few things about Jesus. And if I could just sum this sermon, what, did, what are we supposed to notice What are we supposed to learn? What are we supposed to take away with us all week long in this crazy coronavirus season? It's this, though we are insufficient, Jesus is more than enough. Though we are insufficient, our efforts, our wisdom, our resources, though we are insufficient, Jesus is more than enough. And we see that multiple times through these stories. So uh, let's look again. Let's read uh, just up to verse five again together. And And I want us to notice, first and foremost, I want us to notice the compassion of Jesus, okay? I want us to notice the compassion of Jesus. So it says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him. Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And I just want us to notice that Jesus notices these people. He notices them. He sees them. He lifts up his eyes. And he sees them. And what does he do? He cares for them. So it's not Jesus' job to give people food. That's like their job. Why would he give them food? Because our God is compassionate. Our God is compassionate. Actually, all throughout the Bible, you see these times of celebration when, when a king... Maybe he would be crowned or when there's a great victory. We see it with King David when they brought the Ark back to Jerusalem and they were all celebrating. What What did David do to extend his generosity to his people? Well, it says he gave out bread. He gave out these these fig uh, cakes, and he was just giving them away, giving from the riches of his kingdom to his people. And and here we see Jesus has the heart of a king, saying, "I want to care for my people. I want to care for the entire world. I want there to be more than enough for these people." And listen. These people were not true disciples of Jesus. They were following him because they just saw him doing some signs. And yet, how does Jesus treat those who just want to abuse him and use him? He's compassionate. He's caring. John 3, 16 says, he loves the whole world. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter your track record, no matter if you're listening to this sermon, not because you want to worship Jesus, because you just are coming for some weird reason. Jesus loves you and he has compassion on you. Jesus has great compassion, compassion for these people. Now we see what Jesus does to feed these people. We we read it in verse five. Let's let's read verses five through nine. And and I want us to notice here, I want us to notice the weakness of, of his disciples, okay? So let's look again, verse five. He lifted up his eyes, then seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, it was one of his disciples, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Hear that? Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So Jesus knows from the beginning what he's going to do. I just want to say this, you guys. Jesus knows what he's doing. He looks at this situation that we are in as a planet, and he knows what he's going to do. He sees the lack. He sees the confusion. He sees the need. and He's not freaking out. But I want you to notice this. He tests his disciples. He tests the faith of his disciples. We don't know exactly what Jesus is going to do in this season, in in your season, whatever you're going through right now. But I want you to know this. If you're his disciple, he's going to test you. He will test you. He will bring you into circumstances of lack. And he's going to test you. He's going to test Do you trust him? Do you have faith that he's enough, that he's sufficient, that he has a way? He's going to ask and notice where are your eyes? Are your eyes on the problem? Are your eyes on your resources? Are your eyes on your human ingenuity? Are your eyes on the hope that a government or a nation or a spouse or a friend or a substance will give you? Where are your eyes? Where are your hopes? These things come to the surface when we are in tests. And listen, the disciples fail the test. First of all, Philip, Philip says 200 denarii, a denarii is a day's wage. So this is about, this is like eight months, worth. Uh, eight months, how do you say it? Eight months worth of wages. How much money you make in eight months? He was saying, if if I could pay, it's kind of random. He said, if I could pay eight months worth of my daily wage, it wouldn't be enough to give everyone a little. And so Philip's eyes are on his lack and on the greatness of the problem. They never go to Jesus, never take God into account. Apparently, the feeding of the uh, nation of Israel in the wilderness is not on Philip's mind. The scriptures aren't on Philip's mind. What Moses said about Jesus is not on Philip's mind. He is simply taking into account the world and circumstances before him. And then Andrew, who's, I don't know if he's trying to get Philip off the hook or what he's trying to do, but he says, well, there's a boy here and he's got five fish and two bread. Here's something. But then he even says, but what are these for so many? And so even Andrew's just trying to like alleviate the tension here is uh, he has no faith. This is not enough. What are these for so many? Now, if that first point was the compassion Jesus has on those who don't even know him, I want us here to notice something. The disciples of Jesus, those who follow Jesus, those who have been born again by the spirit of God, we still have weakness. We still lack faith. We still forget who Jesus is. We still forget what the Bible says. We still forget about his resources. We forget that if he could provide for millions of people for 40 years in a desert, he can provide for me. He's enough. Jesus is even compassionate on his disciples. He doesn't say to these guys, Do you know who I am? Do you have any faith? What are you doing? What does he say? Well, next we see the sufficiency of Jesus. Read with me verses 10 through 14. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled the 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that, They had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus is sufficient. He's sufficient. He's God. He is the one who provided manna in the Old Testament and he provided bread for these 20 or so thousand people And what we're going to study later in John 6 is this isn't actually even just about bread. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm not just enough for your physical needs, though He is. He says, Seek me and I'll provide your physical needs. I'll I'll make sure you're okay. You don't need to worry about that. That's true. But what this miracle is about is that He is enough for our spiritual needs, for the hunger in our souls. In fact, he created us to hunger and thirst physically so that we would remember, we would remember that though we lack, he's sufficient and he fills. Though we hunger, he satisfies. And not only is he enough for everyone to get a bite. It says, they ate to their full and there were 12 baskets left over, which he's saying to his disciples, there's enough for you too. You wanna to serve me? You wanna obey me? You wanna lead others to me? Listen, I'll provide for you. I will sustain you and provide and satisfy better than anything else in this world. Jesus is sufficient for you and he hasn't changed and he is still Jesus, he's still sufficient. He's still the bread of life. St. Augustine said, Lord, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You have a restless heart. I have a restless heart. We were given those so that we would find rest in Jesus. So Jesus is sufficient. He's sufficient. Now, I want us to notice here the typical reaction to the compassion and sufficiency of Jesus by the world. Okay, because listen, Jesus was popular. He was popular. Who wouldn't be popular who could do stuff like this? And I, wanted, I want you to look at the wisdom of the world here. Look at verses 14 and 15. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who was to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, a couple of things. When, when it says the prophet, that's referring to what Moses wrote about in Deuteronomy chapter 18, which is awesome because this means these Jews are starting to be like, oh, Maybe this is who Moses wrote about. Bread. He's doing all of this like Moses did. Maybe he's the prophet. Because in Deuteronomy 18, Moses, uh, through the Holy Spirit, said, God is going to send another prophet like me who's going to be even better. And this became a messianic hope that another prophet like Moses would come, he would be the Messiah and he would deliver us from our earthly problems. And so they wanted... To make him king. And how did they want to make him king? By force. Now, I want you to notice this. This is so significant. The natural human wants to think that Jesus is here for my temporal concerns, my temporal needs. Jesus is here to give me bread, to be my king. For the Jews, it was he's going to deliver us from our oppressors. He's going to set up an earthly kingdom. And here's how you know if you are thinking of the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of God, they came to take him by force. But Jesus would have none of it because though he is the prophet and though he is the king, do you know the way Jesus establishes his kingdom? He establishes his kingdom through a cross He doesn't take his kingdom by force, he lays down his life and he sheds his blood for his enemies. Church, we do not take things by force, even good things, even true things. I want you to hear me, church. We do not build the kingdom of God by force by human strength, by human wisdom. These people were right. He was the prophet. They're right. He was the king, but they were wrong about the means of the kingdom. The kingdom of God does not spread by human wisdom and human force and human ingenuity. It spreads by a cross. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, your king, you pick up your cross and you lay down your life. You give it away for others. Church, we don't build our homes by force. We don't build our businesses by force. If we want to walk in the kingdom of God, we walk like Jesus walked. We resist the strength and the wisdom and the power of man. And we say, No, I'm going to go the way of the cross, the way of Jesus. And then, this is so significant, because it seems almost unrelated. Now, why, why, why do we get this story of Jesus walking on water here? Because listen, in any other gospel, it's not in this order. It's not the 5,000 and then the water. And, and, and it's interesting because though the story's here, so many details of the other gospels aren't here. And it's clear that John is, is still keeping us on that same train of thought, what Moses wrote about Moses wrote about Jesus and so what is in the mind of John here is another exodus motif that as God delivered his people through the sea so Jesus the true and better Moses will deliver his people through the sea so let's read Uh, verses 16 and 19. And I want us here to notice again the foolishness of our own efforts. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Now, a couple of things here. We know uh, from the other Gospels, Jesus actually said to them, Hey, go in the boat, go across. I'll get there another way. So he sends them off, and then we see him go back up onto the mountain to commune with his Father, to be in intimacy with God. And then we see this storm come, this storm rise. Now, if you uh, are familiar at all with the geography of Israel, the Sea of Galilee was actually 700 feet below sea level. It's one of the lowest places on the planet. And then the mountain that, that goes right up next to it is, uh, goes up to about 2,000 feet. So that's almost a 3,000 foot elevation drop just right there. And then there's another Mount Hermon that's up to like eight or 9,000 feet in the distance. And so all this cool air would come down from Mount Hermon and then it would rush down the mountain and it would hit this low desert area. And when it would hit the Sea of Galilee, it would just create this wind that was extreme and these huge waves would come. Now, the Sea of Galilee at its widest is about seven miles Long, And we see here, they rode about three or four miles, which means they are directly in the middle of the sea in the midst of this crazy storm. And they are just rowing and they are rowing and they are getting no, they're just stuck in the middle of the sea rowing. And here John wants us again, like he's been showing us this whole time to see, look at the foolishness. Look at the weakness of human effort. Church, we cannot save ourselves. This is to communicate to us. The same reason God brought the Israelites out of slavery and led them to a sea. Why did he do that? In fact, it explicitly says he didn't lead them up to the Philistines because Maybe they would just want to run back home. It says, he led them to the sea. God leads his people to circumstances of which they cannot save themselves. God led the Israelites right up to a sea, the Red Sea. And then an army was coming behind them. And then, as they cried out to God, the pillar of fire goes and moves behind them in it. It makes this wall between them and their enemies. And then he says, look at who I am. Watch me who created the wind and the waves. Just split it open and deliver his people through an impossible situation so that they would know that he is God, that he is the deliverer, that he is the rescuer. Now, Jesus did the same thing with his disciples. He sent them to the sea. And he made the wind and the waves and he knew the storm was coming. And when they were at their worst in the middle, most desperate in the middle of the night, Jesus walks on the water to display, I am God. And and this is amazing because here's the last thing we need to see in this text. We need to see the majesty of Jesus. Look at verse 20 and 21. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus says. He says, it is I. Now, that is written in Greek. And the Greek uh, translation is ego, ego. M-E. Ego, M-E. ego, ego, like that's what Freud says, that you're ego. It's like you, me. Ego, me, he's saying, it is I. And it could be, it could literally be translated, I am. He's saying here, it's me. It's Yahweh. It's the I am. The one who crossed his people across the Red Sea. The one who Moses wrote about revealed himself to Moses, the God of Moses. I am him. I am God. Look at me. You walk on the wind and the waves. You don't need to be afraid because I made the wind and I made the waves. And the moment he got into the boat, immediately the storm was over. And immediately they were delivered through the water to the other side. Church, do you behold, do you know Jesus, the I am, the God of the universe, the one who Moses wrote about, the one who made Moses, the one who spoke and displayed his, his majesty and his power over Pharaoh, delivered his people who is delivering his people now. And let me tell you, this story is not just about a crossing of a sea. Jesus, the I am, has delivered you from the greatest sea, your greatest enemy, your own sin. You have problems that are worse than the coronavirus and they're worse than being in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in a storm. We have sinned against Yahweh, the Holy One, the perfect one. And yet Yahweh, I am, he became a man. He took on flesh. He tabernacled among us. And he had this ministry where he was just saying, I'm God, look at me show you, I'm God. I'm the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament is about. And then he went and died on the cross for your sin and my sin. If you're an unchristian, he offers forgiveness to you. If you're a Christian, he says, I have taken away your sin. And then he died and he rose again. Do you know the I am? Do you trust in the I am? Maybe you do, but right now you're looking at the wind and the waves. Maybe you're beholding other things. Maybe your eyes are off of him. Maybe you're not reading your Bible and getting sustained the bread of life every day. Maybe you're not looking at the one who walks on the wind and the waves. Let me remind you right now that I am is seated on his throne. Are you looking at him? Do you see him? Are you communing with him? Is he in your boat? Is he bringing peace? Listen, he's already delivered you from your sin. If you're a Christian, you're across the lake. If you're a Christian, you will not see another lake. The lake of fire. If you are a Christian, you have been delivered. And if Jesus has delivered you from eternal separation from God and forgiven you of all of your sins, surely he's still going to care for you. He's still going to see you. Surely he knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your circumstances. and He knows your situation. Jesus is still the I am. He's still God. He's the one Moses wrote about. He's teaching his disciples who he really is. And as we study him more, we look at him as the bread of life is the one who gives water in the wilderness, is the one who is the light of the world, that true pillar of fire that we are to follow anywhere he goes, obey him anywhere he goes. And we're gonna just see him go all the way to the cross. Do you know him? Do you behold him? Do you spend time with him? Is he with you? Are you abiding in him? Listen, he's available to you. He's available to you. I wanna tell you good news. Gosh, it is so depressing to look at the news these days. doesn't matter which news source is. It doesn't matter who's being criticized or what's being criticized or what's being publicized. Do you look at the great I am in Jesus Christ who has delivered you from the greatest tragedy, the greatest circumstance, the greatest peril ever and who is able to sustain you and encourage you and feed you even in your lack, even as you're a weak disciple, even as you tend to So keep your eyes on the other things. Look at Jesus today and keep, just keep looking at him. Just keep reading him. Just keep reading his word. Let him speak to you. Let the spirit of God speak through his word to you tomorrow, the next day. Just crack open your Bible. I need you, Lord, feed my soul. He is still the I am. So Jesus, please. Please, Lord, reveal yourself in your glory and your majesty to your people today. In Jesus' name, amen.